0: If this were a music show, we'd play that entire track, but alas, it is not. And it is a far greater tragedy that we must mention to you, the passing of Joseph Shabalala. Joseph was the founder of the vocal ensemble Ladysmith Black Mombazo. She became the most successful group in African history, selling more than 30 million albums and performing everywhere from Sesame Street to Buckingham Palace and Nelson Mandela's inauguration. The group gained international renown after Paul Simon featured them on his acclaimed 1986 album Graceland. The track you heard was Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes. Graceland got recorded in Johannesburg after Simon heard the group and reached out to them. At the time, Paul Simon was criticized for violating the cultural boycott of South Africa's racist apartheid regime, but Shambalala saw a divine hand at work, saying someone was pushing him and there's no way to stop it. The music builds bridges. It's God himself, his spirit. For Joseph Shambalala, a Zulu growing up in apartheid-era South Africa, work options were limited, noted NPR. He wanted to become a teacher or a doctor, but he had to quit school at age 12. At 17, he moved to the city of Durban, where he fixed cars while singing at night. In a dream, he had a vision of a group that would meld the warrior-like sound of the Isicathamiya music performed by local song and dance competition teams with the texture of Christian choral singing. The group was named for his hometown, the color of the strongest oxen, and the Zulu word for axe, Ladysmith Black. Mombazo. I'm slightly ashamed to realize that when in visiting South Africa and when I was in the town of Ladysmith, I wondered if the group was named after the town, and, and, and it was. I've always thought Paul Simon deserved a lot of credit for reaching out against the political correctness of 1980s America to bridge that gap to South African musicians he liked, he listened to, and liked. And out of that, of course, came Graceland. If there's a better album from the 1980s, well, I'm I'm not aware of it. We mentioned in last week's program that we wanted to talk a little bit about Mark Levin, but didn't have time last week. In case you don't recall, Mark Levin was the guy that Nunberg thought Donald Trump needed to get acquainted with, at least get acquainted to who was listening to Mark Levin and then come on Levin's show and become his pal. By studying his positions and telling him, these are brilliant. In an article for Politico.com by Michael Cruz, Sam Nunberg told the author that um, Donald Trump's candidacy and Donald Trump's victory would never have happened without Mark Levin. So Let's talk about him for two minutes. Levin is a lawyer. He later became an author. He worked in the administration of President Ronald Reagan and was the chief of staff to Attorney General Edwin Meese. He's the host of the syndicated radio show, The Mark Levin Show. Levin began his broadcasting career as a guest on conservative talk radio programs. For many years, he was a frequent contributor of legal opinions to The Rush Limbaugh Show. He also contributed to The Sean Hannity Show and eventually got a radio slot of his own. In 2016, a study which sought to measure the incendiary discourse on talk radio and TV found that Mark Levin scored highest on its measure of outrage. The study looked at 10 prominent radio and television programs known for incendiary discourse on political matters and scored content on the basis of whether it used emotional display, misrepresentative exaggeration, mockery, conflagration, slippery slope, insulting or obscene language, and other factors finding that Levin was the radio host who engaged in the most outrage. During the 2012 election cycle, Levin's show was paid at least $750,000 in sponsorship by the Koch brothers-backed Americans for Prosperity to run ads for the group. After the sponsorship ended, Levin began doing ads for the Tea Party Patriots. In 2014, the Senate Conservatives Fund paid at least $427,000 to Simon & Schuster to purchase copies of one books. Keep in mind that Levin is the guy whose listenership Trump just co-opted. In 2013, Levin stated that the Muslim Brotherhood had infiltrated our government and called President Obama a Muslim Brotherhood sympathizer. Anyway, I can't say as I've ever heard the show or ever want to hear the show or could possibly ever recommend anyone listening to the show, except for research purposes. But we do have to note with a great deal of sadness that he is, in fact, in the National Radio Hall of Fame, whereas, of course, Radio Parallax is not. Yet. Speaking of Donald Trump, as I guess we were indirectly, uh, Rolling Stone has an interesting article out currently, which notes that Donald Trump apparently, according to tax records which have surfaced, lost more money than anyone in America for the decade between 1985 and 1994. Apparently the New York Times provided a trove of evidence that, uh, well, the article notes that Trump built his reputation on his business acumen and negotiating skills, but mm, this trove of evidence shows he apparently doesn't have much of either. Trump lost so much money in that decade, including over 250 million in both 1990 and 1991, he didn't have to pay income taxes in eight of the 10 years. One of the president's lawyers, Charles Harder, said the information was, quote, demonstrably false, unquote. Telling the Times that this information is based on IRS transcripts, which particularly before the days of electronic filing were notoriously inaccurate. Well, maybe, but we're, we're pretty sure he wasn't in the black in any of those years. For his part, Donald Trump responded, in a tweet, of course, explaining that losing hundreds of millions of dollars was part of the quote, sport, unquote, of being a real estate developer, while simultaneously describing the report as a fake news hit job. As far as we know, he didn't actually say, no, it's not true, and I promise never to do it again. Author Tony Schwartz, who uh, ghosted Trump's alleged book, The Art of the Deal, said, so the New York Times reports that Trump reported losses of his tax returns of more than $1.1 billion in 10 years, more than any other American taxpayer, said Tony Schwartz, worst businessman ever, biggest tax cheat, it's one or the other, and very likely both. The art of the deal was released as Trump started to bleed money back in 1987. It became a bestseller. This man's going to be defeated next November. May have something to do with the upcoming primaries. As we go to press, as it were, today, we're a week out from California's primary, which will no doubt determine the front runner in the race for the Democratic nomination for president. Bernie Sanders appears to clearly be the front runner at this point, although a lot of people still haven't given up on Joe Biden. And by numerous accounts, Michael Bloomberg now seems to be easing into perhaps position number three. But this is far from settled. California moved its primaries up to March because in past years, having one in June was always too little too late. We should probably sit back and see what happens before commenting too much on the Democratic field. I do want to note that Bernie Sanders has suffered a heart attack. He is 78 years of age. The oldest person ever to assume the presidency was Donald Trump. I guess Trump broke Ronald Reagan's record. But for Bernie, we have to tack eight years on top of that. But I suspect that people who dislike Donald Trump are going to vote for anyone who runs against him. Haven't you heard 80 is a new 60? (laughs) Let's hope. Now that Donald Trump has survived his phony baloney uh, so-called trial by the United States Senate in his impeachment, he appears to be acting even more dictatorial. As you no doubt noticed, he went out and granted clemency to 10 people, not randomly chosen. People such as Bernard Carrick, the former business partner of Donald Trump ally and former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Carry helped with the case of Navy SEAL Edward Eddie Gallagher was convicted of bringing discredit to the armed services after posing next to a dead ISIS fighter's body, which is against regulations. He was in demoted in rank, a decision Trump reversed in a move that angered military officials. Yeah, Carey got a pardon. Michael Milken got a pardon. He rose to prominence on Wall Street in the 1980s as the head of the high-yield bond department, also known as junk bonds at the now defunct firm of Drexel Burnham Lambert. Milken got mixed up in insider trading schemes and eventually pled guilty to several counts of securities violations. Trump pardoned him. Trump commuted the prison sentence of former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. Blagojevich was a Democrat, so why would he do that, you ask? Well, it turns out that Trump has linked Blagojevich's prosecution to a longtime foe, former FBI Director James Comey, a close friend of former U.S. Attorney in Illinois, Patrick Fitzgerald, who led the prosecution against Blagojevich. Said Trump, it was, it was a prosecution with the same people, Comey, Fitzpatrick, the same group, misstating the U.S. Attorney's surname, which is actually Fitzgerald. This reminds me of when we had Ambassador Joe Wilson on this program and asked him about U.S. Attorney Patrick Fitzgerald, who was supposedly investigating the outing of his wife by the Bush administration. The ambassador said he had a great deal of confidence in Pat Fitzgerald, which, looking back on it, we think may have been some misplaced confidence. As of yet, Trump has not pardoned Roger Stone, to which we add, yeah, what are the odds? But anyway, because we are Radio Parallax, we're going to take a minute and take a little detour into the Blagojevich story. It was rumored, I'm not sure about the details, but it was rumored that Blagojevich had more or less auctioned off the Republican Senate nomination in Illinois, which went to a man named Jack Ryan. In 2004, the Senate campaign in Illinois p- pitted Ryan against the up and coming Barack Obama. The campaign received widespread media attention for the disclosure of sealed custody documents stemming from his divorce from actress Jerry Ryan. The unsealed documents detailed allegations that Ryan had pressured his wife to perform sexual acts in public and led to Ryan's withdrawal from the campaign. Before going into politics, Ryan had worked for Goldman Sachs as an investment banker and eventual partner, first in New York City, then in the Chicago branch. In 2000, after Goldman Sachs went public, Ryan's net worth was in the tens of millions of dollars. Back in 2004, Ryan's staff had a campaign worker named Justin Warfield follow Barack Obama throughout the day and record everything he did in public on videotape. The tactic backfired when Obama and others, including Ryan's supporters, criticized this. Ryan's spokesman apologized and promised that Warfeld would give Obama more space. Barack Obama said he was satisfied with Ryan's decision to have Warfeld back off. Now, Ryan had divorced his actress wife in 1999 in California The records of that divorce were open, but their custody documents were sealed at their mutual request. Both Ryan and his wife had agreed to make their divorce records public, but not to make the custody records public, claiming that the custody records would be harmful to their son if released. But after Ryan won the GOP primary and Obama won the Democratic in March of that year, Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Robert Schneider ruled that several of the Ryan's custody records should be open to the public. The following week, April 2nd, Barack Obama called on Democrats not to inject them into the campaign. The Ryan campaign characterized Obama's stance as hypocritical because people they alleged to be Obama's backers had been emailing reports about the divorce records prior to Judge Snyder's decision and urging the press to seek to open them. After arguing back and forth about this for a while, by June 22nd, Judge Snyder released the files that were deemed consistent with the interest of Ryan's young son. In those files, Jerry Ryan alleged that Jack had wanted to perform sexual acts with him in public in sex clubs in New York City, New Orleans, and Paris, although, in fact, no sex occurred. And that was the end of Jack Ryan. Alan Keyes was hurriedly brought in as Ryan's replacement in Illinois. I think they found an apartment form somewhere and said, yeah, that's your legal address in Illinois. You live in Illinois. Keyes lost to Obama 27% to 70%. And three years later, Obama ran for and became president. To dirty business politics, he's withdrawn from politics, but Jack Ryan has claimed it was unprecedented in American politics for a newspaper to sue for access to sealed custody documents. He subsequently made a statement requesting, let me be the only person this has happened to. Don't ask for Ted Kennedy's, don't ask for John McCain's, don't ask for Joe Lieberman's, just stop. This is not a good precedent for American society if you really want the best and brightest to run just strikes me as an odd comparison that when Naster released his medical records Bernie Sanders has said uh, yeah no way apparently he said once you release medical records it never ends but writing in politico.com John Harris points out this shows how far we've come in the Trump era there's a seismic shift in American politics Trump has gotten away with with his refusal to release tax returns also to respond to subpoenas or answer reporters questions and the news media as a consequence, has lost much of its power to set the agenda and enforce minimum standards of public conduct. Anyway, this might be a good time to jump to the good, the bad, and the ugly. magazine it was a good week last week for Florida's lobster lovers. Apparently the price of local spiny lobster has plunged because coronavirus related travel restrictions have cut off air shipments to the lucrative Chinese market. Restaurant tour Steve Galand of North Palm Beach was quoted as saying for the next month or so we can enjoy lobster for a reasonable price. Well isn't that nice? It was, on the other hand, a bad week, surely a very bad week, for COVID Inc. It was and is an Arizona-based manufacturer of audiovisual cables. But after the World Health Organization named the new coronavirus COVID-19, COVID CEO Norm Carlson called the coincidence surreal and unfortunate. And it was surely an ugly week last week for winter, with the opening in Norway, Norway, keep in mind, of Snow, an indoor skiing center featuring artificial snow with painted backdrops of Scandinavian forests, explained director Morten Dyball. the winters are varying a bit more than one would wish. Yeah, I know that was a fake Swedish accent, but I don't really know know how to do Norwegian. And finally, we're not sure it's a good week for romance or a bad week for romance, but here's the story. Jeff Gebhardt, age 47, of Kansas City, has announced that he'll pay $25,000 to anyone who can find him a girlfriend who'll date him exclusively for a year. There is at least one catch. Gebhardt has said that women who are recommended must take a survey based on science. And yes, we are slightly curious as to, as to what... Sort of questions. We'll go into that uh, that survey of, of Jeff Gebhardt. But it might have something to do with vaccines. We do note that uh, from the Only in America file from the week, Idaho is seeing an influx of vaccine refugees from California, which now requires virtually all school children to to be immunized. Idaho, on the other hand, lets parents exempt their children from vaccinations purely on the basis of, quote, personal belief, unquote. One Vaccine refugee Lou Munilla told Idaho lawmakers he moved the state because I don't care about the herd. I care about my family. And in a story about anti-vaxxers in the current edition of The Economist, it notes that Peter Hotez, described as a prominent scientist, is intending to lead a campaign against the anti-vaxxers. COVID's life work has been studying how parasitic diseases infect hundreds of millions of people in China. His knowledge of that part of the world helps explain his frequent appearances on cable TV this year discussing how COVID-19 may spread and the hopes one day for a vaccine. Inspired by Britain's two schools of tropical medicine in Liverpool and London, Hotez helped to found America's first, the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor University in Houston and so far has persuaded dozens of scientists to move there to work on vaccines against half a dozen other illnesses such as Chagas disease and Leishmaniasis. These are mostly ones that affect the poor. He also campaigns, reminding Americans lest they forget how vaccines protect them. As a pediatrician in the 1980s, he recalls the horror of diagnosing children with invasive HIB, an aggressive strain of meningitis, Recovery was agonizing and parents would be traumatized. Worse, it killed some 1,000 American children a year. Then a hip vaccine was licensed in 1987 and almost magically within a few years, it had all but gone. Now, barely 40 cases are identified in America each year. The problem is that people forget within a generation or two the illnesses that once stalked them. In America, he counts at least 14 vaccines that have eradicated or nearly so diseases, including tetanus, diphtheria, mumps, rubella, polio, hepatitis, and smallpox. He points out how, before mass vaccinations in the 1960s, measles sent 50,000 infected children to the hospital each year and typically killed 500 of them. The Economist notes that anti-vaxxers brush aside measles as trivial, although in 2018, around the world, the disease killed over 140,000 people. Anyway, we hope Dr. Hotez can succeed in his efforts. The magazine notes that until they, the Economist, pointed it out last week, Amazon was taking payments to promote the sale for 8 bucks of a sponsored sticker that urged just say no to vaccines. Amazon did remove that, but it also says it will not censor free speech. I think at this point we need an item or two that are a little more frivolous. And you know, we're indebted to the Week magazine for two of them. First, the news that a water skiing squirrel has become the focus of a legal battle in Vancouver. Twiggy, is delighting fans by performing at the Vancouver International Boat Show on tiny water skis. He wears a hand-sewn life preserver, but city officials have told the show that it is violating an obscure law that prohibits the use of rodents in competitions, exhibitions, performances, or events. Twiggy, it should be noted, continues to perform in violation of the city order. In defending his use, a spokeswoman for the boat show said that Twiggy's act is educational and helps kids learn about life jacket safety. And how about this one? The owners of a beloved beagle that had gone missing for days were startled when they heard the dog's disembodied bark coming from under the ground. The puzzled Virginia family called animal control officers and deduced that Henry the beagle had apparently chased a rabbit or another animal into a hole in the yard that led to an old abandoned vehicle buried upside down in the dirt. Several rescuers had to use tools to unearth the car and thus free Henry, said an animal control shelter official, happy to say Henry is fine. Have you ever said to yourself, you know, if I had some time off, what I think I'd like to do is row from Antarctica across the Drake Passage to Tierra del Fuego. My guess is that thought has never crossed your mind. But it did cross the mind of Oakland school principal John Peterson, and he got five teammates to set out to accomplish just that. Although they did this in reverse. They actually rode from South America to Antarctica. In case you're not aware, this is a waterware which is dreaded by seafarers for its pounding waves, whipping winds, and piercing cold. But doggone it, these six dudes set out to do it, and after 12 straight days of rowing, during his 13-day row, Peterson's weight dropped from 200 to 178. To which I would add, if you need to drop 22 pounds, you should seek an alternative method. And in a story we're curious to see the follow-up on, it's been revealed that the two hikers from Palo Alto, who disappeared on Valentine's Day somewhere near... Point Ray Station, and baffled hundreds of searchers with their disappearance, were found after nine days deep in the woods near Shell Beach, where they'd been lost for nine straight days. They survived only on a puddle of water. By the time they were located, researchers had given up. They, they considered it to be a recovery operation by then. But last Saturday, two searchers spotted them about a half mile from Pierce Point Road, deep into the vegetation. Further, it was noted, than family and rescue crews thought was possible. Note, this is also not the method of choice for dropping 22 pounds. Now, A couple weeks back on this program, we reported the fact that a Hindu mob shouting, Hail Lord Ram, which is a Hindu god, stormed one of India's most prestigious universities wearing masks. They beat male and female students and professors with rods and bricks and injured at least 42 people. The Jawaharlal Nehru University in New Delhi has long been a bastion of left-wing secularist politics. And many of those brutalized had vocally opposed the new citizenship law passed by the Hindu nationalist government that is widely seen as anti-Muslim. Since we reported that, and currently... Donald Trump's over there seeing what he can do to patch things up. No word, by the way, on whether Trump in his visit to India has been educated about the fact that it does, in fact, have an extensive border with China. According to the AP, Trump's first stop was Gandhi's home, where Donald Trump donned a prayer shawl and removed his shoes to walk through the humble ashram. He inspected the spinning wheel used by the famed pacifist and saw a statue of monkeys representing Gandhi's mantra of see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. As far as we know at Radio Parallax, no one has yet suggested that Trump be represented as a fourth monkey. Evil. And although that is not the strongest joke we've ever ended the show with, it'll have to do. This has been Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week, post-election. Won't that be interesting?